Do you want to hear the greatest story? Yeah, I do. Oh my god, Bon Jovi sound checking. We got to see this. But then we hear um the guy whistling to a microphone. Yeah, it was John, and he goes, "The kids can stay." We're like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> nice. Thanks, thanks, Johnny. It was a small theatre, and we went upstairs, and there was a photo of Dire Straits, who did their very first rock blast there in 1982, which was just so cool. So these bikies got in touch with us, give us 500 bucks so you don't get your singer back. (laughs) Holy shit. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview-style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers, and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. How are you today? I am doing pretty, pretty, pretty good. I got that Foxtel Now or Foxtel Go or whatever app so I can watch Game of Thrones. And every time a Game of Thrones finishes, I just go straight to to to, uh, to old mate Larry David, curb your enthusiasm. Take a shot. Curb your enthusiasm. Um, and... I just can't. I just can't stop watching it, man. I mean, Game of Thrones is great, yeah. And if and if you're up to date with that, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, if you've seen um, old mate Larry David LD on the curb before, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right, this week on the podcast, I spoke with Dan Goz Gosling, lighting guy, sound guy, uh, extraordinaire. Uh, on the Art of Touring this week, and we get into it, man. Dan has played um, uh, the lighting guy engineer role uh, many times over the course of his uh, uh, career, and um, this week we get to hear um, the... (laughs) Oh my God, just tune in because it's a corker. We get to hear a bit of a behind the scenes antics, including what students say backstage during a high school musical when they think the mics have been turned off. All right, so stick around for that one. Art of Turing is brought to you every single Tuesday. Uh, or Wednesday, rather. Uh, you can listen to Art of Turing on iTunes or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. And remember, Art of Turing is part of the A Lot of Green podcast network, and you can check out all their other awesome podcasts on that network at www.alotofgreen.com.au. There is some coarse language in this week's episodes. If you are listening with kids, might be a good idea to switch on over to Bluey on catch-up, and then once they're dropped off at daycare, throw Art of Turing back on. Now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor. Art of Turing is brought to you this week by Sears Dogs Cajun Spiced Steak. Feel like a nice juicy steak? Then come on over to Epi to see old mate Sears Dog and I'll cook you up a nice scotch fillet steak with Cajun spices and all the trimmings, baby. Sizz Dog's Cajun Spice Steak. It will get your motor going, mate. Just so you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can. Just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Uh, so Dan is a sound and lighting guy, so I don't have any music to share of his. So let's just get straight into it. Straight, straight into it this week. Here is Dan Goz Gosling.
Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. It is a well. It's actually quite warm in the studio because I've had the uh, the fifteen dollar target heater on for about five hours because it was chilly as all hell today. And sitting opposite me is stagecraft lighting uh, sound master Dan Goz. Gosling, how are you, Dan? Oh, sis, dog, what an introduction. Thanks, man. I'm so well and so toasty. Yes. I, I have the $15 <laughs> heater pointed at me. Yeah. Life is good. Life you know, is good. We're here in the studio. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Talking talking shop, talking all things um, uh, touring because you uh, have toured a lot in your time yeah. as a sound and lighting guy. Far too much. Far too much. Far too much. Which we will obviously get into. Absolutely. But we want it. We want to paint a picture for the for the listeners out there in podcast world. Yeah, um, tell us a story, mate. Where where are you from? Where did you grow up? Wow, uh, I was actually I'm an Adelaide boy originally, born mm. and born uh, in and bred in Rads. But I left there super young. I think I was five, maybe six. Really, and trundled off to Singapore. The whole family went over to Singapore, and uh, wow, we grew up and lived there for 15 years. And while we were there, we um, you know did the normal things kids do. Yeah. Climb trees, go to school, all that sort of stuff. But that's where my passion for theatre and production actually started. Ah. Uh, we actually had a production of Riverdance, the, the old Irish, you know, Irish dance troupe come through Singapore. And mum was like, oh, yeah, I'll take, take the family to that because she liked the music. Was that um, uh, Michael Flatley? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the actually, <laughs> bang on. Yeah, we had the flat dog. <laughs> you actually saw him? Yeah, Flatley was still going in those days. So this Whoa. was like maybe more... 1999, yes. I reckon. So we went to Riverdance and I was like, man, I was transfixed by this, you know, theatre. I'd never seen theatre before. I was like, this is amazing. What is yeah, this? Yeah, And that was the beginning that I started volunteering and, you know, was a, I was a performer for a long time. Yeah. Uh, my why hu- did you actually go to Singapore? Like, why did you folks make the move from Radelaide to Singapore? Uh, Dad got a job over there actually teaching accounting. Of all things, he was oh. just had no job in back in Adelaide at the time. Mum was yeah. a, was the breadwinner, and he got a gig, and he's like, "Yeah, let's roll over there." So mum was like, "Sure." So she started doing some counselling, and wow, then that turned into a little counselling practice for fourteen years. Whoa! And they uh, they kept doing that. Okay. So while we were there, yeah. Uh, oh, where was I going with my story? Oh, you're saying you saw Riverdance and it changed your world, man. It did change my world. So, yeah, what so was, was the context of actually going to see Riverdance? Were you just, oh, mum, let's go see a show? And no, I think mum was like, everyone get in the car, we're going to see a show. Oh, okay, I think cool. she was just like, let's go. Yeah, yeah, And so, yeah. I was, oh, that's right, I remember now. Yeah. And I started doing some, like, amateur theatre stuff with my mum. She was like, you know, musicals back in, in Australia and I was yeah. like, oh, I could be in a musical. Yeah, let's go. Let's make some friends and stuff. Yeah. How old were you when you started doing that? Uh, would it be Nine. Oh, okay, so really yeah, young. Yeah, super young. Oh, wow. Yeah, children's chorus, like, you know, oh, who's the cute kids running around in a circle? You know, stage time, maybe like 30, 45 seconds per show. Tops. Right. Yeah. Get him in, yeah. get him out. Yeah. Well, my claim to fame, story number one, yes. was being in a Japanese TV commercial. Oh, as, really? Yeah, yeah. As a 10-year-old, uh, I went into the studio with mum one day, and it was dark, you know, they had all the... I could see in the distance they were doing some filming. Yeah. Filled out their paperwork, and there were about six other... You know, Australian sort of looking kids there, mm. white kids we could say. And uh, anyway, my whole, all I had to do was I had to hold a uh, Japanese woman's hand, yes. and you know the fish and chip shop flaps, the plastic flaps on the front door when you like keep the flies out here in, in Australia. Oh yeah, yeah. I had yeah. to walk through like some of those. Yeah. Stand there with my hands on my hips and just wave and smile. And I was like, this is great. I could do that. My first paid gig got twenty five bucks. Thanks oh, for coming, right? Dude. So I think we did like three takes. Yeah. 
And it wasn't until about four weeks later that we realised what the ad was for when we saw it air on TV. And what we were walking out of in the flaps was actually the front of a larger piece of set, which was a washing machine. And in the advertisement, a small Indian boy was led into the washing machine. (laughs) (laughs) And then little clean white Daniel was led out of the washing machine. (laughs) And it was like the most inappropriate, unacceptable, you know, advertisement we'd ever seen. And they were advertising some sort of like Japanese dishwashing or, you know, washing detergent. Yes. Yeah, it's like so good it can clean all your stains or your kids or <laughs> change the colour of their skin. Yeah, literally clean them up. Oh so my god! That was god. my uh, you know first paid gig at, at ten years old. I was like, were you hooked? I can, I was, that was it. That was it. That was it. That was the beginning. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is hilarious. So, is there evidence online of this? Is it, can I have searched, s- but not anymore. It's not no, there. I, don't, I haven't been able to find it, and I've oh, searched many times. Bummer. Otherwise, I'd share it with you. That would yes, we'd <laughs> and have the viewers to see would that. need to see that naturally. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's brilliant. Pretty good. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure how you're going to top that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You've come out of the gate so strong. This, I this, peaked too early, I think. You peaked so early. Usually I have a follow-up question, but I'm... I'm oh, well, thanks, I'm for just, coming. thanks for having me, thanks sister. Very, <laughs> it's, very, um, it's very difficult to follow up from that. My God, that is out of control. And so you've done this, um, you've done this commercial. What did your folks say? I think, well, they, they, I think they were fairly mortified, mortified yeah. at the time. Yeah. And we stuck to we stuck to theatre back then. And right, that was okay. The, uh, then I just stayed in the theatre as a, a young student. You know, and do you think that was performer. a catalyst for that? Like, oh, we're not sending him out in any of these yeah, more TV like, yeah, things. No, a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, right, right. So that was the beginning of the theatre. And then it was one yeah. day sitting in theatre as a, you know, 11-year-old. I watched this these shadows in the roof and these guys in the wings, you know, moving stuff around. And I was ah. like... And then, you know, I was sitting there listening to the director and I was like, I need to go backstage. I want to do what they're doing. Right. They've got harnesses on and they're crawling around the roof and they're climbing ladders. And that's way more fun than what I'm doing, sitting on stage, you know, prancing around in a clown costume. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the next year, my mum was like uh, to the the local theatre club that we were with. She's like, hey, I want to, you know, I want my son to come in and do some lighting with you. And they're like, yeah, sure, bring him in. That sounds Mm, good. mm. So we went in and... The uh, the teacher there's the the lighting designer at the time was a guy called Paul Kobnick. He's still a teacher in Singapore. Actually, he teaches oh, wow. technical theatre at the American School over there. Right. And uh, and he says to mum, you know, where's your where's your son? And she's like, well, he's here. And gestures down low because I was short. <laughs> and he looks down. He goes, oh, oh, we weren't. Exp- you said your son was finishing his exams and mum's like yeah year six exams he's finished and i was like you know i can i can help you i'm really friendly you know so then he's like oh well you know i was on follow spot was my duty for that first show i was like i don't even know what this thing is i was like yeah i can i'll try that so he's like all right well i'll tell you what we got like a couple of weeks of rehearsals if he's any good we'll keep him on and we'll give him you know give him 20 bucks a show if he passes the test of the dress rehearsals, well, and I was like, "Yeah, cool, let's give it a crack." So, yeah. get led upstairs to this control room, you know, up some corridors, and there's this light up there, which is on a tripod stand. You know, the light's probably I don't know a meter and a half long. It's literally yeah, counterweighted with bricks at the back because really? it was an old, old theater Whoa. that we were in. And I was like, you know, standing on four milk crates, you know, trying to see down the down the barrel of this of this follow Thing, spot. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I did my, you know, apprenticeship trial by fire, if you will. Mm. And then uh, on the final dress rehearsal, little Paul comes up. He goes, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're happy to have you for the season. You know, we've got four shows in the season or something. Yeah. And uh, 
we'll give you 20 bucks a show if you'd like to come on board. I was like, hells yeah. So I took my 20, I took my 80 bucks, successful season, went yeah. out and bought myself a rock climbing harness and that was the uh, the beginning of it all. A rock climbing harness? Yeah, because I was like, well, these guys had harnesses, I need a harness. I need <laughs> that's, what, that's what you do, right? <laughs> Most kids would be like, yeah, let's go and buy some other stuff. I'm like, yeah, let's buy some rigging equipment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Mum was like, "Okay, whatever treats you, whatever floats your boat." You Did know? you get to use it, like, or not? Never in theatre. No. <laughs> no, no, not once. But I think I might have went, you know, climbed a rock climbing wall once or twice, right, with it, just right. so I could like, feel. And you like, had your yeah. own gear. Yeah, I had a rope, and I used to like go to schools on the go to the school on the weekend and just you know hang off the side of a staircase or something and pretend I was. Oh right. Yeah. So you, you could actually. Around. It was feasible that you could yeah you could actually use it it was practical yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. i went and did some like you know some short courses and stuff and taught right. myself how to do it it was a scout and all that sort of stuff so mm. that was that was that's that was good for that sort of stuff yeah oh man so you've totally bitten the bug you you've been um exposed to this um side of the theater that you unexpectedly just just fell in love with yeah. at a very young age yep. and um you get your first paid gig and you go out and you already you're just buying gear <laughs> at, at yep. 11 11 years 11 old? years old was my Fantastic. first gig yeah and where to from there? Like, because you said you were still. How long were you in Singapore for? So I was in Singapore for fourteen years, and then I went back to boarding school back in Adelaide for year eleven and twelve. Oh, okay, so you did like junior school, and yeah, like junior school, and high school up to like year year ten. Year ten, and then at seventeen you moved back down to Adelaide. Yeah, and so while you were still in Singapore, um, yeah, like how did the progression go? Like how much? How many more theatre shows did you do while you were at school? Oh, we were doing we within school. We had like four or five shows a year that I was involved in. I Jeez. ended up basically at that time our school moved campus from an old shitty venue to a brand new one they'd built. Right. And my drama teacher, her husband was the physics teacher, and he they like spotted my interest early on. So I was the guy in charge of you know plugging the microphone in for assembly and doing the PowerPoint and oh, all that sort of stuff. That and was then you every time. Every yeah, like four times a week for assemblies and every show. And then the, mm. the physics teacher husband. Um, David, you know, taught me how to like terminate power cables and taught me about electricity and then he got me into hanging up lights and then, right. you know, I, I learned all this stagecraft from the drama teacher and her husband, you know, combo. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the maintenance guys there at the school, they were, who were tasked with maintaining the theatre would, you know, let me and a few of my mates who were keen just go in and experiment and do the rigging and build the sets and right. that was the... Uh, you know, you just got chucked in the deep end. We had keys to the theatre for many years. In my later years, I would just like let myself into the school and go what? and set up assemblies and knew all the security guards. I had more friends in teaching staff and security than I did in the, in the you know in the uh, cohort in the cohort of students. Oh, he's Dan again. He's going <laughs> into his like, yeah. tech stuff. And I used to just ride my bike down to the school on the weekend and say hello to you know Sanjeev, the Indian security guard, and he'd be like, "Oh, hey, Dan, come in and open the gate." And yeah, wow. there it was. It's pretty chilled back then in those days in Singapore. You could pretty safe and wander around. That's insane. And yeah, you know, I'd accidentally blow sound consoles up by like plugging in like intercom sound feeds that had voltage in them into the headphone port and I had no idea so I'd you know smoke oh. would come out of the console and then you know a year later when someone's like huh, why doesn't that work and be, oh, I don't know it's never, it's never worked <laughs> hell of a while you, yeah, you've sabotaged I've just sabotaged it. half the gear while I'm trying to learn what it is you know well, you so. don't know what's going it's on it's trial by fire I just had yeah, to man. figure it out so uh, it was it was good, and then I moved back to Adelaide and started, yeah. you know, registered a business and started freelancing all through year eleven and twelve. Just really, as a, yeah, as a tech, yeah. So I just found some theaters and some production companies then, and you know, that yep. was really when my uh, my career as a as a technician 
started. Yeah. Because you know, in Australia, the, back in, well, that was 2007, 2006, 2007. Yeah. They were, uh, you know, the, the mentality of production crews back then was like, oh, any new blood that comes in the, you know, in the gang, we've got to try and break you. You know, so we'll work you as hard as we can. And oh, really? That sort of stuff, yeah. That was like, you know, if you're... If you can make it through the you know the next couple of weeks of hardcore gigs, then you can you can be part of the show sort of thing. Yeah, right. So uh, my first you know gig as a freelancer, you know, as little seventeen year old Dan, I'd gone and signed up to be the crew on a festival called Worm Adelaide in Adelaide. Okay. And uh, it was on a bump out shift, so I rocked up at you know oh, six o'clock at night yeah. on the final day and checked in and went to the main stage and found my. You know, crew boss at the time. Sure. And they're like, okay, so we're on main stage, all these, uh, you know, it's like scaffold towers and big sound shell stage, you know, all this trussing. And I'd seen a lot of festival photos and stuff. I'd never been, I'd never been around gear before. I was like, oh, wow, that's, like, well, that's, that's a moving light. Oh, that's a park handle. That's a, you know, yeah. that's a dimmer rack. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, my God. I'm really doing gigs. You know, <laughs> I'm so excited right now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they're like, okay, so you see all these cables here? They're called looms. All right, so these are our 80-meter looms, and they run from the top of that scaff tower, down the tower, across the stage, under the stage, and they go over to the, uh, the dimmer rack over there. Yeah. Uh, just coil all those up and uh, let us know when you're done. Oh. And, I, and like, you know, these are like 80 meter looms and they're a wheel and which is what they were is like six power leads in one cable and it's got like an outer sheath. So it's, 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 pretty, heavy. it's pretty thick and it's just straight copper, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's heavy. So, you know, off I set, you know, potted around. I started to, yeah, rocked up at six, probably started work about seven and at about 10 in the morning. No, PM. Oh, PM. Yeah, pissing with rain. You know, Ugh. nighttime gig, outdoors, Ugh. no fun. No. But they're trying, you know, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to, to the show. Yeah, this is what being a crew is all about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I went and just diligently called up all my looms, lugged them over, put them in a case. Yep. Went and did the next one. Yep. About midnight, rolled over to my crew chief and they'd been packing up lights and other stuff and others. There was like seven stages around. They just left me to it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm all done. And he's like. What, all those, you've done all of them? I was like, yeah, and I did the other side too because I didn't see anyone else doing that. So I just kind of got on with it and, you know, they're all in the box now. Yeah. And I wasn't sure how to unplug those ones. So I just coiled, you know, called them backwards the hard way and just left them coiled over there because I didn't know how to disconnect that end of the cable, you know. And they were like, yeah, right. Okay. Good job, Goss. Like, nice one, Gossie. And, uh, yeah. And that's it. Knocked me off for the day. Anyway, and that was it. From then on, you know, I just it was literally just climbing the ladder of, of production, you know. Mm. Started off doing that, working in some theatres, sweeping stages, hanging some lights here and there, more and yeah. more responsibility. Yeah. Moving from like crew into system, you know, being a systems guy and then learning mm. how to use lighting consoles and program and that sort of stuff. Right, of course. And so there's no, like you didn't, out of high school, you didn't go into like a, a sound and lighting course? Yeah, I did as well. Oh, you did as well. Sorry, yeah. I'm skipping over. No, it's okay. It was all, all sort of happening simultaneously. Yes. So during year 12, I actually had the opportunity to do a vet course ah. as part of my year 12 subject. Yes. So I went and did a technical production, you know, degree. Nice. Um, so I had a, you know, diploma in technical and stage production, yeah. but in the in the second semester, my lighting lecturer actually had a heart attack and died. What? Yeah. So we were like without a lecturer in semester two for this whole lighting course. Oh my gosh. And the stuff we were doing in the course, to be honest, was pretty straightforward. Right. And I'd, I'd taught myself that 
during the years of freelancing and anyway. experimenting in theatre and the consoles we were using were all pretty similar. It was more about just getting the piece of paper. Yeah, and so they were like, well, do you want to come and, you know, lecture once a week and teach these, teach these guys how to do this? And I was like, mm, guess so. Yeah. So what? just started doing some little bits of, like, you know, helping teach the class and, and that's where my passion for, like, you know, reteaching skills and stuff and, and, and teaching yeah. tech, if you will, yeah, 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 was, yeah. Uh, was sort of born, I wow. think, just helping out filling in a couple of lessons during your high school year yeah and then i went back to singapore after that Jeez. out for a few years to live back with the family and oh, they still went over there they were still there yeah i was just in boarding so they school. just sent you off yeah by yourself yeah, at sort, a boarding school yeah sort yourself out you'll be right <laughs> off you go yeah. mum came down for a couple of weeks helped me get settled and was like yep oh good so i was doing all my freelancing you know travel around <gasps> public transport and <laughs> Had the boarding house wrapped around my little finger. Like, you know, they knew I was working at night time. I'd go off at six and come back at midnight and they'd save me a plate of dinner and I'd get up and go to school the next day and go and do a drama production or... Man. Yeah. Nothing like an 18-hour day as a (laughs) 17-year-old. Dude, that is is crazy. Mm. That was my my entire childhood, pretty much, and young adult life. I kind of missed the whole socialising part because I just got so absorbed in... You know, in work and yeah. and learning and just trying to get as much gig time as I could. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I look back now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> would it be nice to have a couple of nights out with some friends instead of working every night? <laughs> but, yeah, you right. Know, it's like now I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to any more gigs because, you know, I just want, if I'm at home, the yes. one place I don't want to be is, is at a gig. gig? <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, do you want to come out and see a band? Nah, unless I'm being paid to be there, I don't really want to be there. I don't really want to go. Yeah. Nice. Which is unfortunate because I do love music, and I, but yeah, I'm just like yeah. Yeah. crowds and loud PA's. Yeah, nah, I'm it's, done. <laughs> Had my fill. It'd be like you're working at a pizza place, and then they go, "What are you going to get some pizza?" Yes, go get some pizza. <laughs> hey, sis, no. don't. <laughs> I'm around pizza all day. What are you insane? <laughs> you can have a really large Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> you want to smoke? Here's a whole carton of cigarettes. <laughs> Exactly oh, right. Oh wow! So yeah, it's okay. Been, yeah, that was the that was the young girl's life, and literally, it's just been nonstop since then. Since then, yeah. So you go back over to Singapore, um, and and start. Um, so you got your qualification, and you even started teaching part of it while you while, I was while doing you were it. getting it as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is just really crazy, ra- random. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, you head back over to Singapore, and um, you start working in the sector over there. Yeah. So I was working. Again, just at a, but that's when I started working more predominantly in theatres because mm. it's way too hot to be doing outdoor gigs in Singapore. So Is that I was right? Like, yeah, I'll just stick to my twenty degree auditoriums and stuff nice. like that. Nice. Yep. Um, so it was two theatres attached to the university mainly, and I did like an internship. Um, and got some work experience there, mm-hmm. and they quickly realised that I was pretty keen and switched on. So they gave me like some part time you know, casual shifts. Yep. Um, and I started actually as a, as a mechanist, so like the theatre world is broken up into various departments. Right. Uh, you know, sound, lighting, mech. Or the mech looks after all the flyers, the rigging, you know, all okay. the stage, basically. On the stage. Sets, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Uh, all the mechanics of the theatre. Right. And, sense, uh, yeah. yeah, like, my trial there was like, okay, we're going to give you, like, eight weeks of mech shifts, and all you're going to do is sweep the stage. Now, sweeping the stage, might you might think, it's pretty boring, right? Yeah. But there's actually an incredible theatrical art to sweeping a stage properly. Hmm. That not many people 
would think about. And it's right. like, well, you just go sweep the stage, right? But it's like, no, nah, you got to take into account, you know, the fact that if it's a if it's a ballet show, for example, you have to sweep it in a certain way to keep the grain of the flooring that they put down for the ballerinas not full of crap, you know, because it's all sort of raised little fibres that make their their shoes not slip huh. and stuff like this. And if it's on a, you know, a different sort of floor, then you need to sweep to the centre or you need to sweep to the front or you need to sweep to the back and that sort of stuff. So, Jeez. yeah, for like eight weeks, my job every day was to go into work, you know, on an afternoon shift and sweep the stage before the show and yeah. do that. Yeah. And then move from there into, you know, building sets and helping with that and building and then being on the lighting crew and hanging lights and mm. on and on it goes. So... Yeah, right. Yeah. And were they, um, was that theatre a, uh, a professional theatre or like more of a, um, like yeah. an amateur theatre? No, that was like a commercial Commercial, commercial theater. professional theatre. Yeah, so they had all the big musicals come through. And punters are paying like hundreds of dollars yeah. to come and see professionally Proper put shows, on shows. Yeah, like the Wickeds and the Mamma Mia's and, and Jersey Boys and all that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a huge, it was a huge world for me. I was this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed 19. 19-year-old kid going, oh, my God, this is great. I'm, I'm working in theatre. Yeah. And, you know, just doing as much as I could, absorbing myself, um, trying to teach myself lighting consoles at home and download software and trying to figure out how to, you know, what do all the terms mean and how do I program this and that. and To make yourself as attractive as possible yeah. to a, a would-be employer. And not even that, I think I was just so... Just totally into transfixed it. into it that that was my yeah, thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? I was, I'm programming a learning console. People were like, okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> weirdo. Kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still remember to this day and I laugh, but there's a, a lighting company called MA Lighting and they they uh, build a lighting console called the MA series of consoles. Right. And they're like top in the world. Ah. All your Eurovisions, your touring shows, they all run on this MA platform. Right. It's a software or...? It's an actual lighting console, like a physical product. And okay. it has they have their own proprietary software as well. Yes. And their own programming language and all that sort of stuff. Right, right, right. And it, it, it allows up to, you know, 30 consoles to be linked. So if you and I were in a show together, we yeah. could have our own console. Whoa. And I would only be in charge of... I could only be in charge of you know, lighting the people with certain fixtures yes. in my rig. And yes. you might only be in charge of controlling like the back left section of fixtures in the rig Jeez. and look after that. And then someone else might do, you know, the right left or you know, the, the other corner yeah, or right, a certain right. type of... Fi- anyway, there's heaps of these, you know, configurations you can do. Huh. I remember I was, I was obsessed with MA back then and I wanted to be the best, you know. At it. At it. I, w- I wanted to be a programmer. I wanted to go and like program Olympic opening ceremonies and I wanted to have, Whoa. you know, 10,000 lights at my fingertips and I would visualize light shows in my head and all this sort of stuff. Wow. And um, I would I downloaded the online software because you could just download your laptop and you could learn to program and it had a little free visualizer that came with it and I'd like link all this up at home and I'd be like, I'd spend hours, I wouldn't game or anything, I'd just spend hours like figuring out how to program lights, you know. Jeez. And I would harass the MA lighting office again and again. I was like, please, can you hold some training? Like, I want to, when are you doing your next training session? Like, oh, come on, come on, come on, you know. Yeah, and there yeah. was a German guy from MA who was living in Singapore as like the distributor for Southeast Asia. Right. So anyone in Southeast Asia who wanted MAs would go through him they get training, they buy consoles. And like a console cost, you know, back in those days, 30, 40, 50 grand, depending on the size of console you had. They had different yeah. stages. Right. And so one day he finally like emailed me. It's like, all right, Daniel, like we've got a training session coming to town. You know, we're getting a, a guy from Germany to come over mm. from head office and do the training. I was like, yes, you know, finally, after years of waiting, you know, I get <laughs> yeah. to have a training session with this guy. So and like I, 20, 21 at this point. Yeah, 21. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I was like, oh, finally, like my day has come. I'm going to be a programmer, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I get there thinking that there's going to be a room full of, you know, Singaporeans and people there. And I get there and no one's there. It's just me. And I was like, oh, like this guy, Jen's the managing director. I was like, what's, where is everyone? He's like, oh, well, we had like 12 people sign up, but you're the only one who's arrived. So this is, you know, the guy from Germany. I can't remember his name now. It's the guy from Germany. And uh, in the, our demo room, we've got some consoles and uh, he's just going to give you the training course. So it was literally me and this the guy who wrote the software. Oh my god! For three days in this room, doing yes. like twelve hours a day, he just downloaded his entire MA knowledge into my brain. I was like a sponge. <laughs> yeah. I just left there like shaking. You know, so much knowledge. <laughs> I know everything. I was like, oh, I've been totally transfixed by this. Yeah. It's like the end of Highlander when yeah. it becomes everything and everybody in that one moment. Totally. <laughs> It's just like I cannot actually, I cannot consume any more information. No, no. And and that's how I got my start in programming, and I wow. be, and then from there I became a programmer. Yes. Um, taught myself stuff, and that's when my touring career really took off because I joined a a couple of bands out of Singapore, just like local bands as yes. their programmer because right. they had a designer, but they didn't know how to program these systems. Yes. And so I, you know, offered my services for like peanuts just mm. so i could get on the road mm. and i started touring and right yeah toured around singapore and indonesia and malaysia and you know uh back back through australia and thailand cambodia and there's like there's Whoa. like there's touring in the uk and the us where you see like these beautiful trucks and all the gear rolls off and it's pristine and like if you yeah. just youtube like time lapse of gigs on youtube yeah you watch these gigs go up you know yeah it's not like that in asia at all you know no. <laughs> not even a little bit like the consoles and the infrastructure for the the you know the control might be fairly like good quality but yeah. like anything at the other end of the multi-core is just you know <laughs> hatched together random bits of truss people climbing up trusses in the rain in thongs what? you know uh, no plugs on lights. They're just twisting cables together and taping it up. And oh, and then man. suddenly, you know, someone falls off the truss because they've taped it to the truss. So the whole truss has gone live and someone's been electrocuted. And they just go, oh, we'll just cut that guy out the way and everyone back to work. You know, it's, just, it's full on. <laughs> just don't go near that part. It's just, maybe just, can someone go and check that, please? You know, so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's another world over there in, in yeah, Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. And I've had gigs where generators have caught on fire and, you know, I've run across a rooftop to look down at this generator guy and like, because uh, I speak quite a few languages growing there. I speak Indonesian and Mandarin growing and some Hindi. Yeah. yeah. And so I could, I really bonded with the Southeast Asian crews because I had that language as well. I right. Think. And, um, you know, I would just scream at someone from the rooftop, you know, in Indonesia and be like, you know, he, he sort of wakes up startled that his generator's on fire next to him, you know, and the gigs, the PAs died because <laughs> the power's cut out and we're like, you know, Come on, I'm, I'm, you know, this was actually in, a, in Indonesia in Bali, you know, on a yeah. beach. We're having a, having a nightclub on a beach. Oh, my gosh. Had 6,000 6, people, you know, in the middle of... A concert. A, of a gig, of yeah. like a 12-hour dance party. They're absolutely smashed off their face and they're like, where's the... No music. Where's PA? <laughs> so, you know, what felt like, you know, 40 minutes in delay for us was actually about like three minutes of downtime in the PA and over, huh. the, and, uh, over the radio... You know, I had a couple of other Australian crew with, who I flew in for that gig. Yeah. And they were, you know, they're scrambling to like, because it blew up the sound console, blew up some of the drivers, you know. So now suddenly the DJ and his mixer are in charge of like whole, the whole PA. We had to repatch some stuff quickly. Jeez. You know, and so we're like, we had a one of my crew like standing there, like every time the DJ went to turn up the volume, you know, we slap his hand, like, whoosh, 
you know <laughs> like, don't touch it don't you touch that you know if you go into red all the amps are going to go over you know like, all going to go into thermal and overheat because it's so hot because all the aircon in the amp rooms died so you know oh man yeah you know, crack pull down the fake walls and get our indonesian crew to get in there and try and get some fans going and you know, it's just oh like all this stuff happens in the background but you know the music goes on so we were you know so like, how did the generator catch fire in the first place I was just un- under maintained and probably ran out of fuel and just <laughs> just, ig- just caught on ignited. Fire. Yeah, and then ha- where did you, if that was that obviously wasn't the only. Power no, we had source. a couple. Of, we had a couple of spares there. Oh, but they weren't plugged in yet. No, no, oh. they weren't running. So we had like some quick swap handles, but you also you have to start up the other generator. So once we got some power back on, okay, and back to the audio system, yes. we could uh, we could get back up and running. But oh my gosh, we had sound consoles blow up and uh, yeah. lights falling out of roofs and. I've fallen out of trusses before, and yeah, it's been. What's a truss? A truss. A truss is the the all the steel structure that you'll see floating above the stage that holds all the lighting. Oh, so that kind of kind of looks like a cube that a cube ladder kind of thing. Yeah, 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 with all the bits going in and yeah, out. Yeah, the of angled it. webs and stuff like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. They you hang you hang everything off that. Yeah, and so you said you've fallen off those. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah it's like in an arena show if you do an arena show or like a festival yes. often there'll be light like there's a, there's two types of lighting fixtures so there's a moving light obviously which you can move from the console which is a robot effectively you can control the position and the colour and the yeah, yeah, brightness where it goes and stuff and, and where it's it, pointing and what it's doing yes but then you've also got conventional or analogue fixtures which are they turn on and off and anything you want to do to them you have to physically go up and you know adjust by hand yes and yes. that you know TV, theatre, rock and roll, we all you always have an element of analogue fixtures because it gives the best skin tone and it's the best way to light, you know, right. performers and stuff like that. Yeah. But of course, in uh, like an arena, you might have an 80-foot ceiling and your truss might be at 60 feet. Right. You have to get up there somehow to focus those lights once the truss is up in the air. Yes. So often we'll attach a small wire rope ladder to the to the end of the truss. Whoa. And you have to clip into your harness. Like you wear a harness and you have a little, what they call a fall arrester, which is basically up in the roof, they attach a little uh, steel cable reel, like yes. a hose reel with a steel cable in it. Okay. And you pull that down to the ground. Yeah. And then you clip that into your harness and that works on inertia. So as you, if you fall suddenly, it locks the wheel. And it, right. And you don't fall. It's like stops you falling. Yes. So I'd climbed up this ladder one day and... You know, was in some arena show, and I was about to start a run of like forty or fifty lights down this run of truss, mm. and the truss was like fifty meters long or something. Jeez. So like just buckets of buckets of analog fixtures. Yeah, budget cuts. Who knows? Was the gig? Yeah, so we're climbing yeah, yeah. up this ladder, and the ladder is normally attached attached to the truss, and the fall arrest is attached to the roof. So if something happens to the truss, you don't fall down with the truss. Yeah, you, you're attached. You're to sort of attached still. to the roof. Yeah. So anyway, I was getting, I was climbing up this ladder. I was at the top, and it, like at that stage, like a ladder climb is pretty taxing if you're not fit. Like it's pretty, yeah. pretty rough. Well, steel, like a rope ladder, but made out of steel. You yeah, said. like yeah. steel wires and steel pegs. Yes. Yeah. That'd be and awful. so I was climbing off of this ladder onto the truss to then start my climb across this truss. And you hadn't clipped on yet. No, I'd clipped in. Oh, okay. But then the, the there's a little buckle that holds the ladder to the truss, and that right. wasn't a, a properly attached, and I didn't. I wasn't able to check it before it flew, before the truss went up. Right. So as I pushed my weight off this ladder, the buckle gave way and the ladder <gasps> fell out from under me. Oh. And I dropped maybe oh, two meters in my harness yes. onto this fall arrester and was then just dangling, you know, too far away from the truss that I couldn't swing back to the truss. Yes. But also because of the inertia, I, 
I was then just hanging in this full arrester. All right. So this right. is like the stage in a gig where any of your other crew, you'd radio and go, uh, help please. <laughs> so we had to go and we had to, you know, stop the sound check. We had to move some, some subs. We had to get the, you know, the big boom lift out, you know, the cherry picker out to try to come to up get and get down. me to get me down out of this thing. Jeez. And then you get about, you know, once it's down, you, and while we were there, we're like, oh, well, we're in the cherry picker now. We may as well drive along and focus the lights that we need to focus because we can't, because <laughs> we can't climb, you know? So. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, the, yeah. the gig must go on. That, that's such a true saying that. So if there's a cherry picker that can get up there anyway, why don't you just use that? Uh, often it's just an access and speed thing. Driving so it's it quicker to just get up to there. Especially if the truss often will go over seating banks and stuff. You can't always like get the right. cherry picker out far enough. Might be an access issue. Okay. So often it's just easier to send a climber up there and they yeah. run, run around the truss for a few hours. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what was the band? Oh, I think that was like a military tattoo kind of kind of band. Right. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I've had a pretty good, a pretty good run with bands. I've worked with quite a few artists. Um, Anyone we'd recognise? Yeah, back in the day, I used to work on the. I was on the Pink Lighting Crew. Oh, really? Yeah, worked with Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. Yeah, was this was when crew. he was touring when he was in, in Australia. In Australia. Yeah. Okay. So I was back there. Yeah. Um, and all through Southeast Asia, I did UB40. Yeah. I was on his. I was uh, on his Lighting Crew. Yeah. Um, we work with Tina Arena and Guy Sebastian. Okay. Currently down here in Australia. In Australia. And the Veronicas. Oh, the Veronicas. Yep. Yeah. Um, and oh, a whole bunch of like other just little. It's hard because at festivals you might have like 40, 50 bands that you have something to do with. Yes. You might not be uh, their lighting guy per se. Sure. But you are. Uh, you have some involvement with many bands in. You meet them in the wings and you have a chat and you go, you know, I remember being on tour. I did a lot of, lot of work with Rockwiz back here in Australia with SBS. Oh, yeah. And the TV show and also the, the touring shows. Mm. And we were on tour and there was this guy who had been introduced on this tour in the panel as Will. You know, that was this William someone. And I was like, oh, yeah, great. And I was out the front. Never saw, never met the cast before the first show yeah. because we were out getting ready. Did the sound check did the show and, and during the show they introduced this guy's Will I was like great awesome so anyway after the show went back and I was on tour with Will for nine and a half weeks okay before it hit me that Will was just his real name and his stage name was Goitier and oh. um, I don't know if you know he, he sang that song um, she didn't have to shake me off or something. I don't know anyway Some, someone that I used to know that one yeah. How'd you yeah. see? I must have been my perfect singing that made you guess that. No, I don't go into it, man. <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, no. No, really? It's that guy? No. Oh, yeah, my but God. but his name is Wally, not Will. Oh, Wally. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. And so, I, you were introduced to him as Wally. As Wally. I'd heard his name, Wally, yes. by mistake, but yes. didn't know who this guy was. And so, what was Wally doing on the Rockwiz tour? He was just a contestant on the show. He was like a, one of the guest performers that was on tour with the show. Oh. Right, but right, he was right. singing songs from his own Thing. individual See, band. I don't remember the actual format for Rockwiz, like, at all. I never watched it. So, what was the actual gimmick? Like, did well, Rock people... Was, well, they selected contestants. So, they before every show, they would select four, uh, 24 people from the audience through a little selection of, like, quiz cards. Right. And they'd find, like, the most geeky, knowledgeable... 
you know, oh, 24. About rock and roll. Yeah, about like, music trivia oh, in general. okay, yeah, yeah. And then they'd run a few rounds of questions and they'd have to either guess the lyric or guess the song. So kind of like Spicks and Specs. Sort of. But with actual contestants, not celebrity contestants. Yeah, with actual people. So out of right. those 24 people, they'd choose four people to be on the show. Right, okay. And then during the show, they would have real... Musos. Musos come in. Yes. And they, the, those four punters would have to guess who the musos were. Okay. And then they'd come out, they'd sing a little solo. Yeah. They'd join that team, you know, and they'd, oh, okay. and then they'd do a couple of duets and there might be a, a third guest artist and stuff like that. Yeah, right. So, yeah, after ruining my completely forgetting Wally's real name and ruining their story, we'll probably <laughs> cut that out later. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> Wally DeBacker. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, wow. And then I had my little moment of like, oh, I'm starstruck. And then I was like, yes. Oh, just... were you starstruck with Wally? I think I was, yeah. Oh, that... really? And I don't often get starstruck, but I was like, oh, I really like that song. Oh, that's oh, nice. Oh, wow. Okay, moving on. Because <laughs> the Pass Out's played a gig with his other band. He's in a band called um, uh, The Basics. Yeah, with a couple other couple other guys. A couple other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like a um, Beatles uh, era rock and rock and roll yeah, band. Nice. Yeah, um, and they'd come out like dressed as the Beatles and stuff. It wasn't a Beatles tribute, but they were they're doing that like gimmick, that. Yeah, right? Yeah, nice. yeah. And so I remember I booked a gig at the um, oh, what was it? The Empress of India. Nice. Do you remember that venue? Yes. The Empress of India. <laughs> and I distinctly Amazing. remember the gig because I told my colleague at work who in, plays in a blues band, I said, oh, dude, I'm playing the Empress. I'm stoked. He's like, oh, yeah. We awesome. like to call it the emptiness of India because <laughs> no one goes there. <laughs> that was like, oh, geez, nice. thanks, Andy, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm like, oh, fair enough. And so we, we go to the show and I'd, I'd booked the night. Um, it, so it was Schadenfreude, um, my, another mate's band. Yep. And then we we were on uh, second, and then Basics were headlining. Yeah, great. And um, I never forget one of the the guitar. I think it was the guitarist because I, I Wally was there, but he didn't come till later. Yeah. I said, "Oh, look, you know, we're an independent band. We're going to put five bucks on the door, and nice. everyone pays five bucks, and you get in, right? That's yeah, great. That's nothing. It's awesome. Five dollars. Yeah. It's a happy meal, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, the guitarist comes up to me. He's like. Yeah, Dave, so um, we don't really want to do the $5 entry thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. He was like, yeah. So what we're going to do is it's uh, it's just a gold coin donation. If people want to put a gold coin in, they can. Because people aren't really used to paying to see us. Oh. So uh, it's it's more of a, just a, a creating a vibe yeah, rather right. than making people pay. You yeah. know, And then if it's gold coin, they can do whatever they want. I was like... Oh, okay. So that's just what yeah. the night was. But it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, dude, I booked the night. Totally. Like, you know. Yeah, always got to pay musos for their, for their time well, and yeah, skill, Well, yeah, because man. it Absolutely. wasn't just them who was... I was playing as well. So yeah. I'm like, well, I want my little crew to pay the five bucks. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, I'm not like I'm taking the coin out of their pocket or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It was strange. But yeah, that was Wally. Um, that was, that's my Wally story. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. And then like, uh, I think years later, we actually, I went and saw them again, but uh, they were playing like a big venue. Yeah, Because nice. that, was, that was before he had that big hit. 
Yeah. He was still just, you know, just grinding it out yeah, with whatever yeah. he was doing. And then he had the big hit. And so then because he had that hit by himself, they were actually able to approach bigger venues to get basics shows. Yeah. So nice. people were coming to see the basics because of Goitier's popularity Love on Triple song. J. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So Amazing. It was, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty wild. Uh wild. Fuck. I promised I wouldn't say that word tonight. It's pretty wild. Because <laughs> <laughs> regular <laughs> listeners of the art of touring would know that um recently I've I've Every time someone tells a story, I go, "Oh, that's wild!" That's <laughs> like in my head when you're telling stories yeah, tonight. Like, I've been going, um, "That's crazy!" or "That's insane!" Like trying to find different words, but I've I've succumbed to the the wild. To the wild. That's okay. There you go. It's pretty wild. Um, okay, so there you go. So you're doing uh, rock whiz, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you you were there any stories from like. Did you ever, like, you know, you said that you were a bit starstruck when you found out it was Wally. Did you get to meet Wally? Was he, was he a nice guy? Yeah, lovely guy. Lovely guy? Yeah. Some of them are not, though. There's right. a whole lot of dickheads. Do you want to put anyone under? <laughs> <laughs> Let's stitch someone up here on the Art of Touring. Uh, Who was a dick to Gosling on on tour that you thought, uh, get you know, you're a bit big for your boots, mate? Uh, Bieber. What? Yeah, I was working on Bieber. Never. Yeah, I was he work- wouldn't be big but for his boots. He surely. was, and he, I, I was working just there as like a floor electrician, mm. not doing much, just helping hand on the Aussie tour. Yeah, and uh, he cracked so many tantrums really? backstage. Like just watching him, you're like, what are you? doing man like you know like the towel wasn't folded properly as he came off the stage and he'd crack it at his american touring personal assistant and yeah just like stupid stuff but we're just like what are you doing man yeah what a um, princess yeah there's quite a few a lot of just uh a lot of artists i think uh, just don't have time for their crews right which is really sad because if they ever came at six in the morning and saw just how many people were busting a nut to Get them, get their stage ready for when they rock up at four and do a twenty-minute sound check. Yeah, I think they'd be a little bit, uh, a little more, bit more grateful for yeah. what they have. Yeah, um, because it's like a mammoth production. You know, like touring a rock and roll arena show mm. is no small feat of logistics no. or manpower. Yeah, like I've been on shows where a touring crew of thirty and one hundred and fifty local labour. You know, local loaders we call them. Yes, can unload twenty-two semi-trailers and set up and sh- set up a show in six hours, from Jeez. an empty arena to a rock gig. Yeah, you know, and you know you'll get a, um, you know, what is a day in the life of a touring rock and roll show? Well, I can tell you if you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll run you through a day. Yeah, you know, as a crew member. Yeah, um, you know, so you ro- often have like a, a rigging call in the morning. So the first person on site is always your production manager and then you might have a head rigger or two head riggers right and they're the guys that are responsible for putting the chains in the roof to lift up all the gear right. basically yeah so they have to go in and they have to there's always a local rigger who knows the who knows the room because every yes. room's different every roof is different right but the rigger knows what the show needs so he'll go right i need to have let's say 200 points we mm-hmm. call them a point where i need to get a hook up into the roof in a certain spot right and they'll have to be perfectly measured off a center line or off the walls of the arena because he knows what the width of the stage is and where the truss needs to go and things like that right and then you'll have a you know a semi-trailer full of motors start to be unloaded motors motors yes yeah. so we use uh like a, a chain motor which is basically a a uh 80 
80 foot, so 40 meter length of chain that goes up into the roof. And on that chain is a mechanical motor, motor effectively, that crawls up the chain yes. and lifts everything up. up out the way. Oh, wow. And that's controlled from the ground. So right. By cables and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, you need a crew in the roof of riggers to pull to drop a rope in where you need the point. Yes. And then the hook gets sent up on the rope and yes. they attach the point and then you move, they move on to the next one. Huh. So while that's happening, while the riggers are putting their marking out and they mark it out on chalk on the floor and the riggers are putting motors in the roof, then the lighting department and the sound department and the video department will be starting to unload their semi-trailers or stuff. Mm, mm. And you'd be lucky on a two of these days if you have anything less than, you know, three or four semis worth of lighting and PA and video screen. Yeah. And uh, so they all get pushed and, and each each department of the show might have two, three, four touring technicians hmm. and then they get given, you know, 20, 30 local guys and girls who just are their muscle for the day. Yes. Because if, you, if you're doing it on your own, you'd just collapse and no, be out of function. Not possible. So they're two of the brains and they hire the brawn is basically the, the mentality. Right. So they're starting to push lighting trusses into place. All the trusses these days come out on wheels with the lights already attached to them. Huh. So they just push into place. They're all color-coded. They're linked in and they bolt them together. Like a big puzzle. Like a big jigsaw. Yeah. And while that's happening at one end of the arena, the other, all the mech and the carpentry teams are unloading all the staging decks at the other end of the arena. Ah. And they're building the full stage deck on wheels at the other end. Whoa! So then, by the t- so that's uh, you know six to seven is normally rigging call. By nine o'clock, there's normally lights and trusses laid out, and motors are starting to lift various bits and pieces. Yes, you might have some video screens starting to be built up the back, or elements of video around. PA normally goes up pretty quickly because um, it's all stacked on dollies, about five boxes at a time. Yeah, um, and you fly all that, and about midday normally, or you know half past eleven o'clock midday, once all that stuff's floating above the you know, above head height, if you will. Yeah. And checks are happening. That whole, you know, all the loaders go to the other end of the arena. They unlock, you know, this stage deck, which is built with, you know, 400 wheels underneath it. It's the full, it might be multi-stories. All the drums are already set up on there, all the guitar amps and all the back lines set up. And mm. often there's an, what they call the underworld. So under the stage might have like automation, might have lifts, um, you know, uh, guitar tech world monitors might be under there. The monitor engineer might have a couple of things. It might be smoke machine. It's all built at that end. Yes. And they just get a full crew of like 100 people to push this stage to the other end of the arena, lock all the wheels, and then they build any additional, you know, um, audio the stuff that they need to. Is on wheels. Yeah. And it actually gets set up at the other at end. At the other end. Yeah. And then pushed into place. Yeah. Pretty much. Why? So that all the other stuff can be put up around it before it gets put yeah, in place. Yeah, just so there's space. Because if you had to wait for all that trust to go up, you'd be behind schedule to build the stage. Oh, so someone thought, well, why don't we just put all this on wheels and just push and then it lock down. it in place? Yeah, so we can actually get it done in the one day. Absolutely. And so then that holy moly, it's normally pushed in by one. You have a quick lunch break. Then yeah. there might be a couple of a couple of hours of extra stuff. You might have to put some more lights on the stage or around it or things mm-hmm. like that. Sound check at three. Yeah. Um. You know. Band normally done by five. There might be like a, a meet and greet or a you know private sound check. Um, there's always a uh, a closed sound check, which is where you know all the swearing and all the ah that's fucked and you know get why why is the guitar coming down the keyboard lines and all that sort of stuff yeah happens yeah and then there might be a like a public invited guest. Uh, Come VIP. to my sound check VIP. You've paid nine hundred dollars to watch me sound check where I sing a few songs and talk to you. Yes, and then they'll go off for, for dinner. 
And then Doors are at six. Show might be, you know, support sport act at seven, eight, nine. Main main band on it. Nine yeah. through to eleven, yeah. Crew still going at this stage. All the crew that, all the touring crew that were building the show will have jobs to do during the show. It might be jumping on a camera, working on a follow spot, mm. you know, operating the lighting console, whatever. And then after the show comes down, as soon as the audience gets out, do it all in reverse. All the wheels come, you know, all that peripheral stuff gets taken away. Yes, all the wheels get unlocked. The stage gets pushed back to the other end of the arena. Yes, that starts to get dismantled. All the truss and lighting comes down, down. and all gets unbolted. All the looms get coiled up, goes back on the truck. And it takes the same amount of time to undo it than it does. No, nah, it normally takes about half the time to bump it out. To bump it out. Yeah, bump out's much easier. You don't have to think as much. You just pull it apart in its dedicated looms and. It's all it's all like overly labelled and now, stuff. Now is this a whole other crew coming yeah. in fresh? Oh, uh, you might have new loaders, but the same touring crew still working. So the same touring crew could have been working from six until probably two or three in the morning. Over. Yeah, and they'll get fresh loaders to load the trucks and that you know forklifts and stuff and forklift drivers. So how can you do the next gig, the next day? That's touring. Got to get up and do it all again. With only three hours, do you sleep during the day once it's done in that one hour if window? If you can. You sleep wherever you can, yeah. If you've got an hour off, you like everyone, we always tour with hammocks. You put a hammock up under the stage and grab an hour here or half an hour there. Or really? Depends what your role is and how much stuff there is during the day. And then uh, it's worse in Australia. So you'll be fine in a few months once your lady's um, given birth because you're used to having no sleep. That's it. <laughs> I keep telling her that. <laughs> I keep telling her this that. This is like the absolute I'm perfect ready. schooling for, for yeah. a new dad. Yeah. <laughs> Come and be a roadie. <laughs> Come and be a roadie and you'll yeah. learn how to freaking... Do it and do a 19-hour day of being awake. Be, be able to, you know, yeah. life or death situations with no sleep. With no sleep. Which is literally the same thing as having <laughs> a newborn having a in the house. <laughs> I haven't slept in 20 hours. Do I need to turn the stove on or off? At this <laughs> oh, my God. It's, that is fantastic. So, yeah. Dude. It's, it's rough on the road. And especially in Australia where we don't have... Uh, touring buses like in America and the UK when you finish a tour you're often touring in a bus so you yes. get on the bus you drive to the next city and you'd sleep on the bus, on the bus. Yeah. but then you'd get up and you might have five hours six hours sleep a night mm. but in Australia you often have to go back to the hotel and you have to get up in the morning fly to the next city so then you lose you know you might get back to the hotel at 2 and yeah. you're on a 6am lobby call where you're all meeting in the lobby yeah. for a 7 o'clock flight yeah. and then you know if the schedule is done that way, otherwise you'd be late for bump in because then you're already arriving at nine and you know hope, hoping that the the rigger who's gone earlier is there putting your points in. Yeah. And you know, if, if the schedule's too tight, often they'll just be two. There'll be an A system and a B system, so the the systems will bunny hop. Right. Uh, because they just don't make it in time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you're ever doing a gig, never book an Adelaide Perth overnight show. It's a bad idea. Right. <laughs> you're doing at least four days for freight to get to, to get to Perth. Of course. Yeah. Which no one thinks about enough. And often it's like, oh, we're doing a show in Adelaide. You know, we're Adelaide on Thursday and we're doing Perth on Friday. Yeah, it's like, yeah. No, no, don't do that. No. <laughs> you know, because it's like a lot of a lot logistically, of, it won't work. Doesn't happen. And no. a lot of I think the biggest problem there is that a lot of. Um, like promoters and band reps and and tour managers and stuff will book tours thinking about what the band's doing. It's like, oh, well, that's okay. G- Jimmy and Johnny will finish it at 11 yeah. and we'll put them on a midday flight and they'll get there at four o'clock for sound check and that's fine. We can do a show a day after another, no problem. Yeah. Forgetting that there's still five hours of pack up to do 
yes. X amount hours of travel in a truck or a bus, yeah. you know, to get all this to get all the gear, gear to the to next town, site B, and then the setup time. Yeah. So yeah, that's a trap for young players if you're booking a tour. Have you ever got, um, been a part of a show where this, the the support actors started playing and completely blown the main act out of the oh, water? Oh, yeah. And you've gone, how are these guys not the headliner? Yeah, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, or you see the attitude on tour, you know, because the, the support acts often will tour with the with the whole, you know, artistic company. Yes. Um and often the, the support acts are so much more grateful and humble for being on stage that their shows are so much more genuine. Yes. And then you get the main act on. It might be like, like I remember um, when Hilltop Hoods were, were young in their younger days. Yes. They were like so humble and awesome. They're just great guys from Adelaide to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would do these support acts for um, other like American R&B acts that would come down. Sure. And Snoop Dogg and stuff like that. Yeah. And the Americans would just be like, terrible and would would lose the audience as soon as they started like the hoods would come out and they'd rev up the crowd and yeah, it was awesome yeah, and pumping yeah. and then like the main act would come out and it's just like oh i'm really disappointed in that and i can see that you're lip syncing and yeah it's really crap oh man <laughs> yeah so quite a few times quite a few times that's yeah. actually been the case yep especially wow. in festivals as well if the yeah. festival lineup isn't isn't right you know the 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 punters have had a day of like great daytime early afternoon you know support up support acts and stuff and then if like yeah. if their headlines are down it's like yeah yeah sorry mate doesn't work that way no jeez so i remember seeing um kings of leon yep uh support pearl jam not the same thing pearl jam was still really good but kings of leon really only had um like one or two records, they certainly hadn't released Sex on Fire yet. Yeah, okay. You know, it was just days. it was still early days, and I was just like, "Who are these guys?" But you could kind of tell like they were they were good. Yeah, they were really good. Same thing with um, uh, the Kaiser Chiefs. Oh, they yeah. supported the Foo Fighters one tour. Yeah, and they had that one song, "Ruby, Ruby, Ruby, Ruby." Yeah, ah. yeah, yeah, they great. had that one, and um, and the crowd would have been mental. Well, yeah, but they they I think. Because that, that was at the time when I was still actually listening to Triple J before they had, you know, changed format and now it's yep. kind of a little bit more difficult to, to listen to. Um, but back then, um, you know, Kaiser Chiefs, yeah, they had that one record, but that was about it. I don't know, not sure, but really what happened to them. But I think maybe it was more because I'd already seen the Fooies quite a few times and they hadn't actually, they didn't really bring anything new to that yeah, gig true. it was pretty much the same as they'd done like two or three years previous so I wasn't that blown away by them yeah. um, and I was just stoked to like see Kaiser Chiefs because <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was something different yeah. kind of thing so Absolutely. I think it was more more me like in that timeline than the actual Fooies the Fooies still did it just you know destroyed the gig oh so, smashed it yeah it would yeah. have smashed it some yeah. bands like that you just can't go wrong yeah that's it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever had a, a moment on, on tour where um, you uh, were you I mean, you already did kind of mention how you, you fell, but have you ever actually injured yourself from, from like, being up in uh, uh, like touring or anything like that? No. Never like broken anything? No breaks. A couple of electrocutions. A couple of electrocutions? <laughs> yeah, yeah, working in Asia. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, a couple actually in Australia just from bad cabling and stuff. Yeah, I've had mm-hmm. a couple of, you know, wet cables, water and electricity doesn't doesn't work too good okay. a lot of the time. But no, yeah, apart from a couple of couple of falls yeah. and like, you know, you always get banged up in a truck and you, you know, bruise a finger or rip yourself open on a case or oh, something yeah, like that. Oh, so yes, your hands would probably really oh, yeah. kind of feel hands the and, Hands and shins and knees are uh, a common culprits for yeah. Yeah, getting bashed around, but no breaks luckily. I've seen a couple of guys. They have some terrible injuries, like falling out of the back of trucks and breaking Ooh. their necks. And oh, their necks! Yeah, like breaking pits of the, like upper neck and back and stuff, and having to go into rehab. And oh my gosh! Um, yeah, legs being broken, and some of them are pretty gory. Oh but, um, man! Yeah, no, nothing touch wood. Nothing for, for me. Goz. Yeah, jeepers! I've escaped scot free so far. Before we uh, officially started the pod, you were talking about old mate from Singapore. Yeah. Who would do? Can we? Can you retell that story for the actual pod? Yeah, well, I forget which story it was. So you're talking about some dude who would like weld. He would get a welding oh, thing yeah. on his back. Artono. Artono. Tell what us about guy. Artono. Well, I used to do gigs in Bali in Indonesia, right. and uh, the company I was working for over there um, had built all their own truss out of some steel for a Cirque du Soleil show they'd done a couple of years prior. Right. And like this is heavy duty. Totally over-engineered, solid stuff. You know, it takes eight guys to lift one length of this truss. Yes. Anyway, this was Cirque du Soleil. Nah, this they had they had built the truss for Cirque when they came to Bali like three years before. Oh, so what were, was the gig? This was just another dance party gig, and we're using the same gear. Oh, okay, right, right. Yeah. So we're, we're setting up a dance party on the beach. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we they'd built this like cube, this eight meter high, wide, and deep cube. Sure. Um, and Hartono, our man from Jakarta, who spoke no English yeah. and was a uh, industrial welder who had built this truss three years prior, got flown in because there was a bit of damage and he had to do some repairs oh, at this point in time. Right. And so we built this, you know, built this truss and had all the lights up there. And my boss at the time, Sue, who's this, who owned the company over there, she's like a firecracker of a uh, a young. Yeah, of a of a British woman. Yes. Um, she had a hatono and she speaks like fluent um, Indonesian. So Whoa. I was telling him like in one of these trusses on where there's a there was a welded plate on there, she was worried that it was bowing a little bit and could he go up and, and fix it? Ah. So he's like, you know, no worries. Yeah. Wander off. Yeah. And he comes in with a full size uh oxyacetylene tank on one shoulder. <laughs> Is this like the size of a beer keg? That's because that's what I'm envisaging. No, no, we're talking like uh, oh, more like what you tall you blow thin up gas bottle. Yeah, like your helium balloon, balloon bottle. bottles. Yeah, the tall, the, the tall version. So the tall version. Yeah, one of those. So like the size of a of like a yeah, twelve like, year old kid. Yeah, probably like. Yeah, like <laughs> Maybe like a meter, meter and a half high. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, would be pretty heavy. You know? It'd be heavy. It'd be yeah. pretty heavy. So he's got that strapped to his back like Ghostbusters. No, no, two just, style. just one shoulder, like a boombox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just lucked it over one shoulder, and he's, okay. he's chucked some welding, you know, some welding cables over his other shoulder. Oh my god! And gosh. some some rigging slings. Yeah. And w- he walks in, and I looked at my colleague, uh, Big Dan, and I was like. Look at Hatano, check this guy out. You yeah. know, we used to give him so much stick because we we're like, you know, oh, Hatano, you know, bagus man, bagus kali, like you know, telling him like, man, you're so good, you know, we yeah. love you, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, he just smiled and laughed and had no teeth, and you know, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Smoked like twelve packs of cigarettes a day, and yeah, it was just, yeah. you know, just loves life. He just loved life. 
And uh, <laughs> so anyway, he, got, he walks over to this truss and the truss was an eight meter vertical truss and then an eight meter horizontal and he was going to the middle of this horizontal bit. Right. And uh, so he looks up and he's like, yeah, cool. And grabs the slings in his teeth and just holding this boom box. Yes. Climbs the truss vertically. Like one hand you know, held himself there, would grab another arm up and like pull himself up and move his feet and then held, you know, all while holding a tank on his shoulder. That's like, crazy. He's a machine. Yeah. Absolute machine of a man. Yes. Anyway, so he flicks this bottle over the top like he's just tossing a marshmallow over his shoulder, you know? Yeah, yeah. Scurries along this truss, puts the slings, you know, rigs up these slings and slides down them. So he's now sitting in between these slings like a, like a nappy, if you will, like <laughs> these two straps coming yes, right. Yes. And he's maybe like a meter underneath this truss. Anyway, suddenly he starts, he starts screaming at some of his local like helpers. Yes. And then there's like a scurry of activity and like quickly there's like four other guys who are in the, there's like a half meter, four meter high truss section underneath him, which has got some lights on it. Yeah. And they run up, you know, holding some cardboard because they, we, as we later found out, he didn't want the sparks from his welding to fall down onto the gear. Right. So then there's these two guys hold cowering under a piece of cardboard while Hartono's on this truss welding, you know, steel plates oh <laughs> onto this God. truss in the middle of the night, you know, in a sitting in two slings like a nappy. <laughs> oh man, we'll never forget it. Jeez, and he got the job done. Yeah, smashed it every time. And then know? just swan swan just carry, back down. Yeah, carried it down. You know, someone was waiting for him with a cigarette. You walk outside <laughs> later, he's just, he's just chilling, you know. It's just like, Jeez. man, you're crazy. Far out, man. And I later found out that he was like working at the... He was building the new Bali airport a few years later. Right. And he actually had a fall from the roof <gasps> because there's no safety or anything over there. No. And um, he had hurt his leg pretty bad, but he, uh, he's back to, he's back to, you know, walking around now, so... Yeah, right. Mm. That's... that's- that is insane. No, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Ridiculous. What um what gig are you currently working on, dude? I actually been doing a musical this week. Yeah, doing back a lot of my day to day stuff this you know time of year is musical theatre and lots of school shows. Yes, uh, my heavy duty touring days are behind me a little bit there. I'm you think to, so? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Again, I'm a bit broken physically. Yeah, after yeah. doing it for so long. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a musical this year of the Adams Family down at a school here in Melbourne. Yes, uh, and it's a busy. It's our busy season. So between now and the end of August, I've got uh, about twelve to fifteen full scale musicals to put on. Far out. Um, and most every week different musical. Every week a brand new musical. Design, like a, I'm there mostly as a production manager and a lighting designer. Yes. So we'll go in and. You know, manage all the gear, prep it all, yep. take my crew, put it in, design it, program it, leave it with an operator, move on to the next one, just smash them out. So You must have some good stories from watching that many school musicals. Mm. Have you ever seen a school musical and a gone moment where, and actually taken that story home and gone, babe, you wouldn't believe what happened at this musical yeah, tonight. It was a disaster. Or whatever. <laughs> There's yeah, a couple of real train wrecks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to go through the roller decks. so i remember there was this great podcast um where i think it was called a fiasco or something yeah and it was all about this one performance of this one play and everything that could go wrong in the in the in the the, play did go wrong i think there was even one where like you know like uh 
uh, it was kind of Peter Pan style thing yep. where the flies didn't work and the guy was like hanging, just dangling, like, dangling and stuff. <laughs> like, was there a- anything like that ever happened? Oh, oh, all the time. I don't. There's, really? There hasn't been one show where where everything's gone wrong, but every show something inevitably will go, will go wrong. wrong. Whether it's a a cast member losing a costume or yes. you know. There's always a special kid running around waving his arms when he shouldn't be, or you know, you know we've had uh, you know sets collapse and yeah. Yeah, it's actually a question has popped into my head. Okay, go. Uh, I th- I think maybe you should be able to field this one for right. me because this actually did happen to me. Okay, has anyone or what's the what's the best thing you've heard through the PA when someone has forgotten the mic is still on them? Oh, yeah. That is a, a beautiful school situation. Disaster. Yes. It's actually the best one I've heard was only a couple of weeks ago. Really? At, at a school. And like we drill the kids when we do, um, you know, ha- when they have radio mics on to say like, the, someone could always be listening to your, you know, microphone at any time. So even yeah. if you're backstage, yeah. be aware that you've got a microphone on your head, you know. So, pretty much we're safe, but this one time, one of the scene recalls didn't, or it fired properly, but it was, the kid wasn't where they were meant to be. Right. So, they were at the back, bitching about the drama teacher to their mates. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> through the, the mic. Yeah. So, we opened the channels of this microphone, and she's like, yeah, she is such a freaking mole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then all the kids in the audience were just like... Like they all ID'd this girl straight away. And um, I think she's just stitching up the drama. She's stitching up, and it was there. And we were like racing to try and find it and turn it off. Yes. And, uh, but, you know, inevitably two or three sentences came out, and you could hear the, you know, oh my God, you're running the PA, like coming through in the background (laughs) as the realization filtered through. Yes, yes. You know, and, uh, yeah. There's there's been a couple of chemo, a couple of toilets, toilet flushes really? at the wrong time, you know, <laughs> or the trickling of wee into a toilet when they should be on stage. They were just going to the or loo, just in the loo, like singing to themselves or whistling in the toilet. Yeah, and you and they should be on stage for a scene, and there's an audience, and it's just like that would just make your night great. And that's the magic of theatre, I think. That yeah. disaster sometimes is what makes it so special. Yeah, and so fun. Is that things so they do go wrong, and you just go, yeah, yep, yeah, all right, carry on. Well, I mean, you tell them we're not going to be able to get to the the microphone straight away. Or is that all automated? No, it can't be automated because they're going to say the dialogue differently every night. They're going to have different pacing. So it yeah. is a manual thing. You, you, Someone's job, it is to turn it down. So yeah. someone may have just forgotten because they got preoccupied with another cue or something. And then that kid's mic is left on while he's on the pisser. <laughs> it's on the pisser. <laughs> That's why exactly you say, right. dudes, it say. may be on. Just don't <laughs> just, say anything. Just be aware. Be aware. Yeah, and it is a. It is a, these days. It is a bit of an automated and a bit of it's definitely still got the manual touch. Like we'll yeah, automate yeah, all yeah. of our scene recalls, so you might have a new scene saved for the top of each scene, yeah. which might reallocate, you know, the six people in that scene onto more easily accessible faders on the console, yeah, for example. Yeah. So that is the automation part, but there's still an operator. Mixing the dialogue and, you know, when you're not talking, pulling the, your mic down a bit in case you sneeze or yeah, snort or right, right, you know, right. cough or something. Someone writing so, it. Yeah. 
Um, has anyone ever sworn on the mic? All the time. All the time. All the time. When I was first in Indonesia, I used to do the sound checks for our PA because I had a you know bit of a newsreader's voice back in the day. Right. And I, I said to my boys, you know, can you teach me how to you know say check check one two three you know give me some Indonesian like sound check and they're like, oh yeah you know you can say satu dua tiga which is one two three and you say satu dua tiga chalak chalak. You know, and I was like, oh, great. No, chalak, chalak, what's that? And they're like, oh, like, check, check. And I was like, great. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what else can I say? And they're like, oh, you can say, like, you know, uh, gratis konak disini. You know, which means, I was like, what does that mean? They're like, oh, it means, like, you know, here today, doing a sound check today. And I was like, that, that's it. Tease me. Gratis konak. Okay, got it. All right. <laughs> so then I was like, right. So then, you know, <laughs> a few go. days pass, and I was like, yeah, let's sound check. So yeah. uh, there's a couple of us, Aussie. All, all of the Indonesian bar staff were prepping for this gig. DJ was prep. We're about to open doors. Yeah, everyone who spoke Indonesian was there. The CEO of the of the restaurant was there, and and I get on the mic and I'm like, uh, just gonna do a quick sound check, everyone. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna do, try this in Indonesian. Uh, you good up there, Dan? And point to my mate, and he's like, Yeah, man, we're good to go. I was like, Right, satu dua tiga, chalak chalak, gratis konak di sini, and everyone just erupts in laughter and I was like what did I say something wrong and then yeah. like I get pulled off like someone pulls my pants like get off the stage get you know? yeah, <laughs> and they're yeah. all they're all pissing themselves laughing and I was like what did I just say you know and yeah. my boss comes over and the little Sue yeah. she's like you just said check check one two three um free erections in here <laughs> free erections, erections in, in here, here. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like you know what are you oh man and I was like so chalak chalak doesn't mean uh, you know check check she's like no it means big dick and I was like good chat <laughs> thanks everyone <laughs> they stitched you up like, they stitched time. me up proper oh that's great so yeah and you weren't to know you were no asking idea. like where do I say one two three in, what was the language it was in uh, Balinese in Balinese yeah I was like I don't know what this is yeah jeez yeah, so and plenty of swearing. Yeah. Well, cuz I um I was uh year 11, I think. Yep. And our school, we had done a musical but for some reason, maybe it was year 12, or whatever, I'm terrible memory, but um it was certainly a school production and it was in the gym. It wasn't even at Plenty Ranges cuz yep. we we did the full school productions at Plenty Ranges. Yeah. But this was in the gym and it was like a variety night and so I being you know, actor, singer, Davo. Yeah. I was in every second thing I was of in course. it. So yeah. I was singing, I was acting, I was doing monologues, I was doing this and that. And one of them, it was, a lot of them was uh, uh, old Monty Python skits because the director nice. was big fan of Monty Python. He's like, well, you know, that'll translate on the stage. We'll just get him to learn all these Monty Python skits. And so one of them was, I was dressed in this green alien suit and I had just come down from, you know, planet Zorbon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'd been, I was discovering <laughs> Earth and it's very funny, you know, da, da, da. But I did not know my dialogue at all. <laughs> and I'm screwing it up completely. And it yeah. wasn't, it was just a, a, I think it was the dress rehearsal. And I'm screwing it up. And uh, Mr. Laplastria just decides to rip shreds through me in front of everyone you're ruining this performance for everyone Siriana you haven't learnt your lines yet (laughs) it's showtime tomorrow pull your bloody head in mate blah 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 blah. brutal just destroys my psyche and I and yeah full read me the right I tried to scare me scare me you know to learn my lines I suppose I walk off stage and obviously I've got a I've got a mic on yeah and they hadn't pulled it down (laughs) and under my breath I've just said what a 
can't. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and it just went through the PA Entire as loud as anything, oh, no. and I just went red. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to get expelled!" Brutal. You That's know? the end. And Lapastia just looks at me like oh, I've just, you know, murdered someone. Yeah. But what can he do? He couldn't take me off the show. I was in everything. Yeah. I was the show. I was the show. <laughs> <laughs> So it was the perfect nice. crime, but I I genuinely didn't know the mic was on. I hear, and as I, I said, he did he did yell at me, like yeah. really yelled at me. So yeah, yeah, it was um we 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 were both in the wrong that day. Yeah, fair. And if I ever see Mister Little Pasture again, I'm <laughs> sure we'd have a good laugh about so it. So good. Oh gosh. Yeah, and we got a couple of sayings in the entertainment industry that you can say over the PA if you see someone. You know, like the client or, you know, someone important walks in where you just need to tone down what's coming out of your mouth. You know, we've got like a, oh, Ogs 2 foldback's really loud. Ogs 2 foldback's really loud. You know, it's a bit like, you know, let's tone it down a bit. Now we're not allowed to yep. swear anymore. Let's stop for a minute. You know, the talent is on deck. The talent's on deck or, you know, uh, ducks in the water, ducks in the water. Uh, if that comes across the PA, you know that the person paying the bill is in the room. So, you know, really? settle down. Yeah. Couple of little um, CO, we say a lot of uh, COC, COC, which is client on comms, because often if you're, uh, you know, we've got an intercom system that we yes. all talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. If they're if you're bitching and moaning on, about things on the comms and, and the client comes, someone comes, yep, COC, and suddenly you can be like, oh, that fucking teacher, oh yeah, it's such a beautiful show, you know, it's yeah. just like <laughs> <laughs> just instant up. change, like okay, I've been caught. COC. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Classic. You've definitely painted a picture of what it's like to be backstage um, behind the scenes and uh, and seeing what it's like for uh, a... Um what, what was the term? A, a, mecha, a mechanist. A mechanist. Yep. A, uh, a sound and lighting designer. Yep. Um, a rigger. Yeah. Uh, uh, essentially a, a roadie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you've worked with them all, man. Yeah. You kind of have to be a jack of all trades to be a bit of, to be a roadie because you never yeah. know what's, what's going to happen next. What's going to be needed yeah. for you. Yeah. And Australian touring roadies are renowned as some of the best in the world. Is that right? Because of our... Just get it done. Attitude. No worries attitude. Right. Yeah. Like if you start looking at America and the unions and stuff, to give you an example, like if I got put on a show as a lighting guy. Yeah. Uh, and I did my lighting stuff and then the riggers were like, oh, Gozzy, come give us a hand, you know, fix this mode. It's like, hey, no worries. And oh, yeah, yeah. audio is like, oh shit, we need, we need to move some subs. We've yeah. lost all our crew. It's like, yeah, no worries. We'll get in. Just lift the sub. Yeah. Whatever. Get it done. Sure. Show must go on. But in America and places like that where the unions, I've literally been on tour in America where I have had to, um, uh, like we had lighting crew and I had like 12 lighting crew and I was like, why do I need 12 lighting crew? Like I can do this on my own in Australia. And like, oh, well, Johnny here, Johnny's in charge of unboxing the lighting. So he just opens the boxes and then Charles here, you know, he, he's in charge of rigging the lights. He puts the lights on the bar for you. And then, you know, Jimmy, he's in charge of plugging in the power. He don't do data. He don't do no signal. He just does the power, you know. Jeez. And then these two over here, you know, Clara and Sandra, they do the they do the signal. You know, but that's it. And so you'd be like, oh, my God. And literally, if there was like an audio cable, like a mic cable on the yeah. ground, right? Yeah. And you are pushing a lighting box, they would stop at the audio cable. And go, hey, can I get someone from sound over here, please, to move this cable? I need to get through here, you know? And you're like, are you serious? The, the unions yeah. are that bad. And if you as a lighting uh, crew member touched that audio cable and someone from the audio department saw that, they could tools down and file a dispute. 
for that. But what's what's the motivation behind that? Why uh, would it's they just not want to work with totally departmentalized? I don't do that. We're lighting guys. We're That's sound guys. That's not my job. You know, you're taking someone else's job. Um, you know, things oh like God. loading a truck, for example. Like there'll be uh, like the lighting crew will, will box the lights, right? Yeah. Then there'll be what they call teamsters. Teamsters will come and get the box and push them into the corridor, down the corridor. Yeah. And in that corridor near the loading dock, there'll be a yellow box, like a yellow on the floor. There'll be a yellow painted area. Yes. They'll push the teamsters push the boxes into that area, but no further. Huh. Because there's, there's a different union dock crew that take the boxes from the loading dock huh. and push it to the trucks and load the trucks. And I've heard stories of like um, riggers who have gone over there with circus shows mm. and they've had to file a request with the union to be able to go and load the specific apparatus that's really fragile into the truck. Right. And they get escorted into the area and they're like, put your hands in your pockets don't touch anything. You can call the pack, but you can't pack the truck because that's you taking out jobs. Jeez. Like it's full on over there. So, so a skill like in Australia where you're wanting to be multi-talented yeah. a diff- and, and be like Do attractive a yeah, yeah. to a, a future employer uh, over there is seen as something it's like, no, you just do this one thing. Yeah, that's, that's your there job. Must be other pe- there must be people that can do it all though, surely. Oh yeah, there's definitely the non-unionized like techs as well. Okay. But in certain venues, it's, it's where it's run unionized. by the union, it's just oh, unreal. Wow. Yeah. So Australian guys on like will often you often find Australian crew in America working on touring shows. Yes. So just get it done. Just get it done, yeah. man. No whinging, no worries. Yeah. Smash it out. Far out, man. Yeah. So tell the people um, if they want to get you as their lighting guy for their, you know, uh, school musical. Oh, yeah. Or, or their, you know, um, professional pr- pr- production of uh, Miss Saigon or yeah, yeah. Phantom of the Opera. Absolutely. Wh- wh- who do you work for? I work for myself. What's it called? Uh, it's called Gosling Productions. Gosling Productions? Yeah, is is the company that I, I run and work under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I freelance for a whole bunch of other people and other companies. Yeah. But yeah, I just work as a sole trader. I've got some crew that, you know, come and go as they please. Right. And we just get gear from wherever we need to do, wherever we need to get gear and yep. do the gigs. Gosling Productions. Is there a website we can... Yeah, goslingproductions.com. Okay, cool. Yeah, you can check it out. You can nice. just email me at daniel at goslingproductions.com. Yeah. And yeah, hit and me up. You can get the, the the real deal. The real deal. Yeah, we can go do some gigs together. I can answer your questions. Yes. Or I can just tell you some more stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so good getting a real picture behind because I've, we've known each other for a good few years. Yeah. But um, it's it's been great getting to know that part of your life. Yeah. Because usually, you it's, know. Yeah. You might have just, heard stuff you've never heard as well. Tonight. No. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like um, when, when I even interviewed my oldest and dearest friend, Brett, he was telling me stories that I'd never heard of, you know, because Great. obviously you don't live out of each other's pockets. Yeah, so obviously totally. there's going to be things that you don't know about each other, yeah. you know. So especially, you know, with with our friendship, we'll see each other maybe once every three or four months. And, you know, there's there's going to be stuff that sips through the cracks. That's it. Which is where um, this podcast is very handy. It's beautiful. We're good to find out about you <laughs> telling everyone about big dicks. Big dicks <laughs> in Indonesia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good way to end it, mate. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on The Art of Touring, and we will see you on the road. Absolutely, man. Literally. <laughs> Come and do some touring with me. Beautiful. Thanks, <laughs> man. Thanks, his dog. Ciao. 
And that's a wrap, Sizz, Sizz, Sizzlers, episode 56, all done. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Touring Podcast. If you are a first-time listener to the pod, I hope you come on back each week and keep listening. I have a new guest each week, so uh, you are more than welcome to join the Art of Touring family and become a regular listener of the show. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me. Shoot me an email directly at artoftouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show if you're a touring muso uh, a performer a wrestler a sound and lighting guy uh, anyone in the entertainment field who can tell a yarn and who's been on the road just you know slip me a message i'd love to hear from you uh you can listen to art of touring on wooshka and you can download it on itunes if you have enjoyed this episode i say this each week but please someone someone just jump on itunes and shoot me a review it's not hard just go five stars review good podcast cheers boom thanks very much now let's get into some plugs This Saturday night, the 18th of May, I'll be playing acoustic covers from 6.30 to 9.30pm at the Black Swan Hotel uh, and Bar in Point Cook. I actually called it Gypsy Road Tapas Bar last week, but they've just changed the name. So there you go. It's now the Black Swan. Get on down there. This will be the second time I'll have played this venue, so come on down. It's It's a good vibe. I suggest the steak. Uh, the outro for the Art of Touring, uh, the outro music rather, of the uh, Art of Touring podcast is a song called Start a Fire by The Pass Outs, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole debut album by the band on uh, all digital platforms, and if, and if you'd like to grab a physical copy on either CD or glorious coloured vinyl or regular coloured vinyl, go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get merch, including T-shirts, T-shirts, apparently, T-shirts, stickers, posters, and even skateboards. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I do have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Dan Goz Gosling. If you would like to book Dan to do your next production, just go to his website, www.goslingproductions.com, and that's Gosling spelt G-O-S-L-I-N-G Productions. Or go to his Facebook page, Gosling Productions, spelt the same way. Just give it a search, give it a like, and he will be able to sort you out. (laughs) That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with us is Joe. And remember, this week's podcast was brought to you this week by Sis Dog's Cajun Spice Steak. Get it in ya, mate! It's a proper studio. Studio, Dell. Yeah. So that was the figure. That's the one pop that I own. Oh, um, yeah, the John Cena. You can't see me and he's invisible. Yeah, get on. it? Yes. Yes. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I thought it was an actual figure because they were talking about it. And I'm like, oh, i got to get that. Yeah. That sounds sick. It's <laughs> hilarious because you can't see him. It's his gimmick come to life. I He's invisible. <laughs> and then I found out it was a pop and I was like, oh, I don't, uh, okay. Slightly more unexcited at this point in time. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, but then I 
Oh, is it Zing? And they, that's all they have there is pops. Well, not all they have, yeah, but they do a lot of pops lot of at pops, Zing. Sir. And I said, you, you guys have that, you know, invisible John Cena pop. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting you to say <laughs> that. Why did you now say? I feel like I have to buy it because I asked for it. Yeah. Why would I ask for it if I didn't want it? <laughs> <laughs> give you some cash for this thing I was fairly unexcited about. Yeah, like, well, I guess I'll take this home. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. So there you go. That's why I have that in That's my, got the my collection. Pop. The one pop, yeah. Nice. Not a big pop guy. Motherfucker. Yeah. Right. I, I was given a, a Darth Vader pop by a, a student um, when they were leaving year 12. And I, that was a nice gesture. So I opened that up and I have it in my office. Yeah, nice. This this one here, I'm actually really proud of. That's all my cane figures. I didn't have quite a few, and I want more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think awesome. he's the most toyetic out of all of the wrestling figures. I'll Obviously, give you that. I'll yeah, give you that. Uh, yeah. Of my generation, I think he's the most toyetic because he's just gone through a lot of different changes with his mask and everything. Yeah, but his whole persona kind of evolved from years ago when I remember watching him. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, you're kind of cool, and then he got like. I remember once he got a bit lovey-dovey with someone in the ring. And then oh, like, yeah. They yeah. went through so many storyless lines with Kane. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, there you go. Uh, where was I going with that? The, um, oh, yeah, Toyetic. Yeah. So, obviously, Miss Rey Mysterio oh, yeah. is extraordinarily Toyetic. Yeah, true that. Because he's got, he comes out pretty much every time with a different costume. Yeah. So, perfect. how easy is that? Oh, sweet. Another, <laughs> Great, another, another figure. Another figure. He's got another costume, another figure. Cha-ching. Yeah. Here, marketing department going, carry on. Exactly. Which is hilarious because, like, the guy who's probably got the most figures, John Cena, I don't really find that toyetic. He comes out in just Same. jorts. Yeah. You know, and some armbands. A jort. We might have to come back to that. A jort. What's, what's a jean short? Jean shorts. Jorts. <laughs> Brilliant. Isn't that wonderful? That is pretty good. I haven't heard that. Yeah, jorts. Jorts. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah, he comes out with his hat, his singlet. Yeah.